and welcome to Independent Thinking, the podcast exploring a new era for the high street. We celebrate independent business and bricks and mortar retail across the UK, those who are shaking things up on their local high streets and who believe in the potential of our town and city centres. I'm your host, Alexandra. Welcome along. Welcome back and welcome to series four of Independent Thinking. It's a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you again. We've had a long break over the summer. How was yours? Hope you've had a a lovely time and we're ready to fully embrace the pool of autumn in all its glory. And we are a year old. You might have seen this on Instagram. It's very exciting. And to celebrate, apart from quaffing a glass of champagne throughout the rest of the series, we'll be revisiting some of the guests from our first series to check in to see how their businesses and plans have changed since we last met. Stay tuned for Bontot and Holly Groves returning later in the series, both of whom who have seen significant change, one moving out of the high street and one moving into it. As well as that, we'll be delving into the many various challenges impacting retailers at the moment, from supply chain concerns, HGV driver shortages, Brexit, COVID. We'll be looking at all of it. We'll be speaking again to Dr. Sarah Montano, who joined us last series and helping us make sense of it all. As well, of course, we'll be speaking to award-winning independent retailers and thinkers from across the country, from shops to developers who are thinking about commercial space differently and who have real optimism about the future of bricks and mortar retail. So lots to look forward to. Before we introduce our first guest of the series though, a couple of notices, uh, parish notices if you will. Uh, We would absolutely love it if you rated the show or left us a review if you've been enjoying the series so far. It makes a huge difference in how Apple put us in that algorithm you know what I mean pushing it up and putting it in front of more ears so thank you so much if you have already done so but if you haven't please do consider it it really makes a huge difference and lastly I am delighted to tell you that we now have a Patreon page for the show which will enable you to support us so for the price of a coffee a month you can get access to bonus content and the knowledge that you are supporting the creation of something you love for details of how you can pledge your support head to the show notes Supporting the show means I can can keep creating it, buy new equipment, uh, go and do more out and about, more roving reporting and also helps keep the show ad free. So thank you. So let's get to it. Without much further ado, our first guest of the series is a special to coincide with COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference, which, if you're listening to this on the day of release, started yesterday in Glasgow. So who better to talk to than a business based in the city which has sustainability at its core? Easy for me to say. Today, we're speaking to Bevan from Bonn, an ethical textile atelier in Glasgow's Southside, a place where you can find sustainably made, ethically sourced fabrics and textiles to create your next project. If you, like many others, have become inspired to take that sewing machine back out of hibernation. Textiles are an integral part of our lives, clothing us, furnishing our homes, our workplaces, even the transport we use to get around. They tell a story. They reflect our times. Whenever technology advances, we see that reflected in the textile industry, creating new techniques, new materials. Look around wherever you are right now and you'll see countless examples of the textile industry's fingerprint on your life. Hand-dyed, synthetic, natural, recycled, hand-woven. They keep us cool or warm, keep out the elements, can exhibit status even, your beliefs in the world and so much more. And yet... As Bond's website explains, they are also one of the leading global issues negatively impacting our ecological, cultural, social and economic climate. Founder Bevan is a huge believer in the local high street and that some things are simply made to experience in person, particularly when it comes to something as tactile as textiles, a belief that began in her early days working in a haberdashery in her home city of Dublin. We talked to founder Bevan about how she brought her training from working in textiles and fabrics in the world of museums into the world of shopkeeping, how she believes she can support customers to navigate the ever more complicated world of shopping ethically, and how she has led a group of like-minded individuals to create her own unique response to COP26, creating something which shows how much more can be achieved when we all pull together, as she tells us about our project COP20 Stitch. Enjoy. to start our brand new series, our episode one of series four, 
at a very interesting time. So welcome, Bevan, to the, to the show. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to participate. It's exciting. Oh, absolute pleasure. And you, we kick off in a really exciting time for Glasgow. Obviously, all eyes are in Glasgow at this really exciting time and a very it's an important time it's at the start of COP26 and it feels like a really interesting time to speak to somebody who's running a sustainable business with kind of ethical principles at at your core so we'll come on to that in a in a moment and we'll kind of delve into that in more detail but first I wanted to get a little bit into how you got into all of this no so you are a conservator by trade uh, yes. So I've come from the world of museums and kind of uh, and working with with textiles. So I feel like you're in such a good spot to know exactly what makes textiles last and what makes what principles and kind of what makes up you know why the textiles are are designed the way they are. So tell us first of all how did it, how did you get from being and working in a, a museum and all of this to being a shopkeeper? What is can you tell us a little bit about that journey that you've you've been on? Absolutely. Um, well, my background originally was in fine art. Uh, so I went to the National College of Art and Design and did my bachelor's there. And it was just at the end of that, uh, my tutor introduced me to the idea of being a conservator. He knew that I, you know, liked structure and textiles. I wasn't the, excuse the, arty farty type and kind of just knew he just knew through what I had been doing for four years that I liked kind of nurturing something. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And I spent between my BA and becoming qualified. So those three years, I worked in a haberdashery in Dublin, where I'm from, <laughs> uh, and kind of worked in and out of different museums, helping out and kind of getting more experience. Um I then came to Glasgow to be qualified for two years um, and it kind of I've worked in museums uh, ever since for a couple of years but I kind of was feeling a little bit bored because <laughs> what does what does a normal day look like for it can for a textile conservator a lot of people think you know it, it, it sounds very exciting and it sounds very exotic um, and it can be, you're working with amazing artifacts, um, you know, very, very ancient tapestries and costumes from anything from the, you know, 15th, 16th century up wow. to the present day. So you could be really, you know, you're very privileged yeah. to be uh, in the same room, uh, like being able to touch these things and conserve them with you know specialist knowledge and equipment um but textiles take so long they're very laborious uh, so you could be potentially working on something very sedentary um for months on end uh, i think the longest object i've treated was a tapestry for the burl uh, collection for the new uh, reopening next oh, year yeah. and i think i spent just over a year oh wow conserving the tapestry so it's painstaking a whole, then. painstaking so it's a whole year of sitting and looking at the same object <laughs> you know for seven hours a day with nothing like nothing else not nothing else to do but you really are just there and focused and it became for me just too boring yeah <laughs> Fair enough. You know, yeah, 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 and 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 it lacked that kind of creativeness. Mm. Some some of the practices are very by the book, so mm -hmm. they're they're very much um, along the academic line of well, this is what this paper says. So you know, we kind of there's it, depending on who you work for, what organization or museum, it can depend on how um, experimental you can be in your treatments. Okay. So you're sometimes you kind of get a bit stuck or you're unsupported by the organization because maybe they don't have the funding to allow you a week to train yourself in a new technique or, I you see. know, it's all time and money and time and money and time and money. So, um, but yeah, I was kind of lacking that, that original creative flair that I kind of wanted to regain yeah. for myself and it didn't allow that. So hence kind of just jumping 
sideways. I love And obviously you must have really enjoyed those days of working in a haberdashery. A word, by the way, I love the word haberdasher. It's like, the, know, it's isn't it beautiful? It's a beautiful word. Yeah. So you must have really enjoyed that to think, actually, I want to start something myself. I did. I think when I was working there, it was, you know, the part-time job. It was a means to an end. It afforded me, you know, what I wanted in my early 20s. But I did it for just over three years. And just in hindsight, I realized much later on, that was a job that I loved going to every day. Mm. Um, I loved the people I worked with. I enjoyed the customers. I enjoyed the chat. I enjoyed problem solving with people's, you know, projects or just figuring stuff out. And it was, you're always, you're there on somebody's day to say hello and have a chat and you know we've had some I had some really interesting customers who were going through a hard time or really happy customers and you just meet a whole spectrum of people mm-hmm. and it's a you know I didn't realize until later as I say that how much I really enjoyed it so yeah I just and I think it, it comes back to being a child as well it's like oh I'd love to play shop yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know it's like it's so enjoyable yeah and there's also something really satisfying I always think this is for me it's at the heart of why I find it so fascinating there's something so satisfying about you just selling something and then having to replenish it and then sell again I feel there's something really lovely about just very simple and that's not to that's not to denigrate any people's work but it's so satisfying transaction Mm -hmm. yeah and just even I think my favorite part is just wrapping something in a little bit of tissue, popping a sticker on it if they want it, yeah. a little bag, and they feel like you've just gone that little extra touch. And it, yeah, it just makes you feel good. Yeah. And, and they're happy and you're happy. And you've had this really pleasant exchange with a stranger, essentially. Exactly. But I've met some fabulous people through Bond now. And and people who will be lifelong friends, which is also lovely. Um, starting to get a few more people known by name. It's very hard with masks, though. Yes. Um, because you kind of, you spent all of lockdown kind of recognising people on Instagram and, you know, um, messaging back and forth. And and some people have come in saying, oh, I'm such and such on Instagram. And I was like, oh, yes, I actually, I recognised your toddler before I recognised you. <laughs> you know, it's like... I know who all these people are or they all know me by name, but I don't know them by name. And I feel there's a little bit of, um, oh, there's a little, I wouldn't call it, that's not tension is the right word, but there's a little bit like, oh God, I'm really sorry. I actually don't know your name because you seem to know so much about me and I kind of recognize you, but I kind of don't. And and yeah, but I'm, I'm getting better at kind of recognizing the, the people who are coming in more often. Oh, it's the one of the most know them, which is lovely. Yeah, it's one of the most special parts, isn't it? So, yeah. so you made so you talk about the sideways move. So, when did that like snap into place for you and think, okay, this is this is what I want to do, and this is when I'm going to make the move? Well, it was actually it was a very particular day <gasps> in July 2019. Okay, and somebody told me that the job that I had you know, really thought I really wanted for a long time, which was to be the, the textile conservator at the National Museum of Ireland. Oh, wow. Um, the previous conservator had retired maybe about six years ago and they never refilled her post. And I always thought, like, oh, that's something really cool to aim for mm-hmm. and it would be lovely. And then the job finally came up and I had been in Glasgow a couple of years, met my partner here. Um, and I was just like, I don't want that anymore. You know, I just, I just, it was just on that day being like, the thing that I wanted for so long is just not on my list anymore. And I kind of analyzed, A, I didn't want to move back to Dublin um, for various reasons. Um, And B, was I really enjoying the job that much to move country again? Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, no, I, I was totally loving my life here. And it wasn't worth that, which I think if you told me, five, six years ago, I would have dropped everything. Yeah. For. Um, and that was the kind of pinnacle moment where I thought, right, well, if I'm going to do something else, I'm going to have to think. And I knew it straight away. I was like, I know in the back of my mind what I wanted, mm-hmm. but I never, ever thought it was possible. 
Like, it's just one of those things you think, no, it, like that's something that other people do. And, yeah. But it's actually, I hope you don't mind me name dropping. It was people like Jen from Wild Gorse Pottery mm-hmm. and Rebecca from Love and Squalor and a few different people around Glasgow who were female, my age, had just gone and bit the bullet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, so they can do, like, I can do that. Yeah. Like, I think I can do that. <laughs> so um, I spent a couple of months just sitting on it, writing a few notes and gave myself a deadline to the end of the year so that if I was still thinking of going for mm-hmm. it, that I would have to act on it from January. So I gave myself, uh-huh. what, five, six months to just talk to people, tinker around on a notebook while I was working as a textile conservator. Um, and then from kind of the December, I'd already been like, no, this is happening. Like, let's go. Um, <laughs> and then lockdown happened. So it's oh, like, man. You know, but, but that was, it was all fine. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so you had all these ideas and, and, and presumably you were doing this in kind of weekends. You were doing it in like lunch times. Anytime you could yeah. find spare, you were just sort of yeah. thinking, right, yeah. making these contacts. Totally. Um, my partner is a chef. So at the time he was working a lot of late nights so I was at home in the evening so ah. I'd come home and just spend like an extra six hours on my laptop just researching and and it it became very I'm kind of a workaholic I don't really stop so it didn't seem like work or a chore it was just this exciting pastime for a while and yeah. um, that became not so much of a <laughs> So yeah, so you had this idea, and you've you've done. It seems like a huge amount of research, which actually isn't surprising given your background in kind of understanding work, because presumably you had to do a huge amount of research in your line yeah. of work and being used to being quite analytical and getting and building a picture. Yeah. Um. So then, scunnered a little bit by by that, but perhaps not. Because maybe it, did it give you that time to think? It did. It did. It definitely. Like so, I originally thought that sourcing the textiles would be the easiest thing I'd be like I don't know and I'm not a computer person I'm very hands-on with everything I'm a pen and paper girl so I didn't know anything about graphic design or websites or you know I know a bit about photography um but nothing about editing photo none of none of the things that you like none of that checklist I had none of it I had fabric and textiles but actually to my surprise, it was the complete opposite. Ah. So I found it really hard to find the companies that would I could buy from in small quantities that were, you know, sustainable and ethical um, and from business owners that actually recognised what I'm trying to do and not trying to sell me the earth when I couldn't afford it. Um, anyone who I work with now, I, I have a quite a good relationship with, even if it's just through email. Um, but it was the other things like, the uh, branding and uh, website design and stuff that that actually came much easier with help from others, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, lockdown happened, and I was sent home from my job. I can't conserve tapestries in my home; they are um, astronomically in size, <laughs> and um, I wouldn't have the insurance to have them. Yeah. So I was sent home. And I, I had plenty to get on with, uh, so it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, no, I'll be busy. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I won't be bored. <laughs> thank God, thank God, I'll be able to fill the days, don't we? Oh yeah, yeah, I don't, don't worry. Yeah. I mean, if I could, yeah, and I, I kept myself very, very lucky. If I could do lockdown again, I wouldn't change a thing. I would totally do it. I don't think the business would be where it's at today without lockdown for many reasons, um, because the first lockdown was. Um, you know, from March to July, I mm-hmm. went back to work in July and launched the website in August. So that whole period was kind of getting all my ducks in a row for the website launch. And then I worked my back to my full-time job and the website until Christmas. And then we were sent home again. And that's when I started working on the Kickstarter <gasps> um, for, because I'd already pretty much prematurely financially secured a premises so I was like right well now this is the next kick in the ass to kind of I see get to the next stage. I see so it's all it all came very quickly so um, let's go back a little bit because I'm really curious yeah. about this principle of of being an ethical and kind of sourcing sustainably because yeah. how 
before we go into the kind of uh, continue with that story, I, I want to kind of pick up how we touched a little bit with um, our guest um, Yander, who talked about how it is getting a little easier to to, to track these fabrics down, but it's still a challenge. And it, I think about where they're made and 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 what and who's making them and what's that what their their supply chain like. How so that was always at the heart of of the business. Then it was always really important to you. And totally. how is how has that been? Yeah, in sourcing product and and like you say, it's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I think it, it, it kind of stems from just working backwards. So while you think you might have got to the source, actually there's 10 steps prior. Okay. So it's, it's for me personally, it's understanding the, the chemistry and biology of the fibres of fatty. So how they're grown, mm. what, what are the properties of these fibres, where in the world they are grown, how much water do they need? So it comes to what actual fibres are most sustainable. And then from those fibres, how do we get a sustainable, um, you know, manufacturing and and things like that. So the main fabrics that I uh, source are um, organic cotton, linen, uh, then there's kind of... Uh, they're like a modern rayon, so Tencel and EcoViro ah. uh, and Cupro, which are man-made but natural. So they're derived from natural products, but they are trademarked from certain companies that make the pro- the man-made processes sustainable. So it's it's kind of a long-winded oh, I see. explanation, but they're they're essentially dissolved in chemicals and then extruded through these machines to make fiber like false fibers i see um, okay but yeah so it's a they're a rayon family um but not all rayons are sustainable uh it's, it's yeah it's complicated yeah. but so uh, and then you're looking at certifications so there's various organizations around the world that certify and go right back to you know they they want to know where the crop was grown and that there's no pesticides and then who everyone from who you know farms the land to cards the wool to spins to weaves to dyes to washes the whole process is tracked so for example cotton is certified as organic from got so it's the global organic textile standard okay. uh, that's the most common uh, certification uh, and yeah they certify from crop to shop basically oh very um, nice nice phrase um and then there's there's other ones like the soil association and and then linen is slightly different because it's often certified by guilds so you're you kind of got this whole spectrum of trying to figure out the best solution now i don't think personally that there is such a thing as a sustainable fabric so everything has a footprint it's just where it falls on a spectrum of this is bad for the planet, this is better for the okay. planet. So there's no like winner as such. Yeah. It all like so organic cotton, for example, um it, it uses more water. It needs more water to grow organic cotton oh, than not. So you've got these constant weighing up of, um, of yeah. yeah. And it and it's all down to the consumer or the customer to to know this Mm -hmm. to understand the processes to know what they're buying to just be more aware and just consider all the different pros and cons of a fiber so wool for example is very sustainable in one person's eyes and it's really not so sustainable in another so in one sense yes it's the you know wool from a sheep's back the farmers don't want it um, often, um, but it's like a natural insulator. It's, um, you know, it's a natural um, antibacterial. It keeps you warm, mm, all mm. those things. But it's also um, the sheep themselves are um, bigger producers of methane than cows. Ah, right, and, okay. You know, so you've got that kind of, but also the sheep are brilliant for the so- for soil. Um, so you've got all these yeah, different... Yeah, it's really complex, Computing isn't it? complex, yeah. But then, you know, and then wool to make the wool that you wear requires 
an astounding amount of water for washing. But then oh. once the once the garment is made, you don't actually you shouldn't really wash wool very often. It's 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 a self cleaning fiber. Yeah. It it's magical. It's absolutely <laughs> magical. But it it does have its not so good parts. You know the the process isn't as easy as it sounds. And that goes goes for a lot of fibres. There's pros and cons to them all. Because I'm thinking, you know, you have a, a, a background in, in understanding textiles, but and and it's it's and and you find it complex. As in like, I, and there's so many layers. So yeah. I, it, there's it's such a minefield, isn't it, in terms of understanding? Do you feel it's a? Is it, do you see part of your role as a shopkeeper in in actually educating about all of this? Absolutely. And I'm still learning all the time. You know, I'm, I really am. I'm, you know, I'm no, by no means I'd call, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I am passionate about trying to just get to the very core of things when I can, you know, I mean, it takes a hell of a lot of time to go down the rabbit hole mm. and then come out with useful information. Yeah. Um, Another example would be people saying, oh, but can I buy this online? And I said, and people are worried about um, you know the carbon footprint of getting things delivered and yes that's a that's a very fair and genuine concern but on the grand spectrum of something being manufactured to being posted to you the postage of something is just a drop in the ocean mm. of something's carbon footprint so it I don't feel like it should put people off the way it seems to be doing I think there's 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 a lot more carbon footprint from your products than just the that's really interesting it's like we kind of concentrate on the things that are maybe things that we can influence more or which is understandable but that's yeah we're we're putting our energies in the wrong in the wrong place perhaps we kind of are we're we're basically i feel like my generation our generation we've just been given so much information and we've been we're we I feel like I personally and I can't speak for everyone but I've become um or was very unquestioning Mm -hmm. and very uh, like non-critical of what I'm being told is something whereas now I'm becoming far more inquisitive Mm -hmm. and questioning and critical of uh, everything but like not to like be a broken record but I'm just like "Mm, I have to really go back and figure this out a bit more because what you're selling me isn't actually what you're selling me. There's there's loads of different things. Yeah. You know, there's so much more to the chain. And I think it, it's just kind of understanding or doing your best to understand the 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 traceability of what we yeah. what we buy and have in our homes and what we eat. So people are very concerned about eating organic fruit and vegetables, but they'll still feel fine about wearing of head to toe polyester and that seems to be fine and it's totally not, yeah you know it's, gosh it's, yeah. it's so it's just it's so interesting to I think I mean I think being inquisitive is pretty much at the heart of um progress actually I think in, in you know being curious staying curious and actually thinking is that, is, that, is, that, is that really right or is that and actually going exactly. one step further just questioning does it. take yeah. time as a consumer yeah. particularly where there's definitely a lot of dark arts that have been done around supply chains and, and that's what's so interesting about the situation we're in now with with us getting to see the complexity of these supply chains and how all they're all just sort of on a you know we're all on a knife edge of like it doesn't take well, I'm going to say it's not doesn't take much. Obviously, we've been through a huge amount, but what I mean is, it just takes one thing to come out of the the, the chain, or one thing to be disrupted. Yeah. And I think we're all starting to understand. All right, actually, these these are huge. These were, you know, these are huge things. Really? Just the box that you put something in, yeah. you know, if that isn't in the supply chain, you're not getting your product. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're not going to sell it to you without packaging. Or, yeah, you know, it's because it's part of their design and part of the whole. Process. Yeah, exactly. It's oh, it's so fascinating. So, so with that being at the core of your idea, then, and all of the time of you setting up your business, I guess, how did then that become the reality too? Because what I find really interesting as well is that you had an online offer, obviously, when we couldn't do so much in person, but it feels really important to you that it had to be a physical shop. It had to be somewhere where they could really feel the fabric and they could sort of get a sense of what this was all about. Definitely. And and uh, people, people come into the shop 
every day that it's open and they're so delighted that they can walk in and touch the fabric. And I think fabric is one of those things that if you're buying fabric to make clothes yourself, you can't, you have to know what it's going to feel mm. like. You have, you know, if you're going to put so much time and energy into making a garment for yourself or anything for yourself or for somebody else, you really have to know the fabric. You can't, you can't really get a full sense of it from a little sample. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you can, and the other thing about fabric shopping as opposed to clothes shopping is you can send clothes back. Now, that's another story. That's something. Again, I could be another podcast in itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but the idea, like, it's so, wait, if somebody, if I cut two meters of fabric for somebody and they didn't like it on, and then I take it back, it's kind of not the done thing for fabric shops to take back. Yeah fabric that's been cut because it is waste yeah you might have to wait for you know a couple of weeks or a couple of months or I don't know it could be two hours before somebody wants two meters exactly again. yeah and so it's kind of you have to try there's no kind of try before mm-hmm. you buy you have to know what mm-hmm. you want um it it just decreases the the waste of of textiles that way yeah as well. um and all the patterns that people work from it will tell you based on your size and what size you want the garment to be how much fabric you want but then there is waste attached to that as well I'm kind of going off off um off topic a bit but there is a whole other spectrum of uh clothes clothing design and which is a zero waste uh so there's lots ah, okay. of a new kind of mo- I wouldn't maybe it's a movement but um a new um stream of garment design which is based around zero waste okay so you're making kind of garments that you know there's nothing left over um which is is just an interesting thing to be aware yeah. of. it's, it's going to be I, I'm going to say the next big thing but it's it's very beneficial for everyone um but it's not to everyone's taste not everyone wants to wear oversized. I was going to say is it quite boxy um, yeah, it's, sort of stuff it's quite boxy it, it can be or it doesn't have to be there's you know, there's, re- I mean, it's engineering at its finest. Oh, like, wow. It really okay. is fascinating. Yeah. Um, I've yet to kind of delve a little deeper into it, but um, it really is. That's so clever. It's complex. It's really complex. Yeah. yeah it's very clever. Yeah. So, so that bit, bit kind of owning that and, and I think having that relationship with your customers as well and, and being able, and actually what's really interesting is that it just is such a stark contrast to all the things that you were talking about with being a conservator in terms of it being sedentary and you being off and you're on your own or we, yeah, yeah. So, and having those. Or like, you, or like look and don't touch where yeah. people come into the shop and, and because it's COVID times and people are wearing masks and having hand sanitizer, but people are still asking, oh, can I touch yeah. this? And I was like, <laughs> please yeah. <laughs> yeah oh I love it and then they they ooh and ah over the textures and they're like oh my god I didn't think they would feel like this when I looked it on the website or and it's different like I know somebody a family member asked me before when the website was launched and before the shop came they're like oh do you really need to open a shop like do you really want to put yourself through all that stress and money and and I was like oh there's so many things that you can buy online but fabric is just not one Mm -hmm. of them you know it's one of those things that you just can't it's just you don't buy your nice coffee and pastry from an online shop you want to smell (laughs) yeah you buy it and it's the same with fabric you do need to know what it feels like. yeah absolutely and particularly if people are making an investment as in these are fabrics that are going to last they're going to be things you wear forever um and actually have you seen is there because I I know that you've got you stock books as well about kind of making and 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 uh, creating kind of clothes or, or quilting or is there been a real interest in that have you seen that kind of grow and people thinking actually I might give it a go or might I mean I'm thinking great about sewing bee or in the public consciousness of, of repairing things or yeah there's there's a whole and I wouldn't say it's like coming back because it never went mm. away but I think it is in uh, well I don't want to like toot my own horn but having a shop that is aesthetically pleasing and of a, a modern touch mm-hmm. compared to other shops yeah. You know, and I've also made a conscious decision that it's um, it it's without very much pattern. So I don't stock fabrics that are 
polka dotty or florals or anything like that because it it basically cuts out half of your customers I'm not that kind of person I don't want to buy florally things Um, and there's so much there on the market that is that so I really wanted to provide a space where it's block colors they will be in circulation for much longer you won't tire of these Mm. Um, but also um, I've plenty of uh, male customers who are coming in with you know a face of relief being like (laughs) my god not another polka dot yeah like because they'd go you know I've been shopping for fabrics before and I've walked out empty-handed because I can't see good quality plain fabrics Mm -hmm. through all the polka dots and flowers and butterflies and tractors it's just like hang on a second where it's just the good plain fabrics and so that's what I'm providing people coming in wanting to they're like oh I have a sewing machine I should really get it out again yeah now that I know that you're here and actually I like these fabrics well now I can I know where I know that there's somewhere now I can go to get my fabrics and my materials and and pick it up again there's a lot of people picking it up again and picking it up for the first time Mm -hmm. because now that there's somewhere local that they can be supplied with and it saves them going into town to other shops or buying online yeah people are generally very I love that and I'm glad to hear it and I think something bringing a modern touch like you say because it can be quite um twee there's definitely a sort of tweeness and a a chintziness to um to some places that I've definitely visited in the past and to have that alternative is really nice and it's also it's I mean it's a small shop and it's a small range of fabrics because you have to start somewhere but it's um I've I've never intended to be this massive I will, I will never be a massive warehouse of fabric mm-hmm. um, because I think it's too overwhelming for people. I think they want to go in with a view of, you know, a small collection of fabrics and feel like they can make a decision mm-hmm. um, because so many people are overwhelmed by, you know, is it that colour or that colour or that texture and that colour? And you kind of, you don't want to stress people out, you know, like... And like it goes back to the investment. I want them to leave feeling like they've picked the best thing that they can find for themselves in that shop that day and they've not missed anything. Yeah, and because it, it's know, daunting it's, enough thinking about making your own clothes. Really, <laughs> yeah, really daunting. Yeah. I love that. So uh, what I'm really interested though is about this kind of running an ethical business and, and having that at its core and being in Glasgow at this time. And I think your response to it through what is such an amazing uh, name, COP20 Stitch, the project that you're running. Tell us a bit more about that then, how you became to be involved. As I guess you're sort of celebrating how things can be sustainably made and how and actually and raising awareness of how we use fabrics. Absolutely. So um, a couple of months ago, I'd, obviously we all knew COP was coming to Glasgow and it's it's coming to Glasgow but it's also happening to Glasgow like we are going to you know all the roads are going to be locked down it's going to be a huge security thing but nobody was really talking about it but on the other side of that you know there's an amazing you know um fashion designers uh who are working with sustainable fabrics and who are you know making to order and things like that so I was kind of asking around to see like is anybody doing anything for COP is this kind of are we, is this enough? Like we, we've never had this before. We've never had the opportunity to kind of be put on the main stage before. Um, so I kind of was kind of putting the word out for a while uh, just to see what people were doing. And then I, in return, got a lot of invitations to be like, oh, you could showcase your business here and you can, do you want to exhibit us, exhibit with us here? And can you contribute like a video here? And I was just being for quite a while I was just being asked a lot of um, and it would mean closing my shop to do something for somebody else and and while I was you know honoured with the invitations and things like that well I still am only one person um, and I, I you know I'm, I'm trying my absolute best to do what I can but it comes at a you know it everything comes yeah. at cost and I was I wasn't always prepared to be like yeah I'm going to drop absolutely everything I've worked for for the last <laughs> to go and help you with your yeah. project which I'm absolutely like that's amazing what you're doing um but then I realized you know my relationship with you know textiles and fabrics are with my customers mm-hmm. and and I felt like 
you know, I just feel like Joe Bloggs, just like most people just feel like Joe Bloggs. So I thought, well, there's a lot of people who would like to be more involved with COP26 who don't necessarily have the ways and means and don't really know what's happening. So I just thought, well, let's just do a community project. Um, let's just focus on just, as, you know, not to be, because it's quite overwhelming to kind of get into all these exi- exhibitions. Yeah. And, um, so I thought, well, for my own sanity, let's keep it small. And when I say small, I think there's now nearly 60 people oh, putting wow, their hands to this project. amazing. But it's been a really nice process. So it's, so uh, yeah, so I called it COP20 Stitch, which I thought at the time nobody would get. I was like, oh, I'm a very funny. But actually people get it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. um, uh, so yeah, so it's every Thursday evening uh, for two hours, and because of COVID and the, obviously the size of the shop, it's quite small. So I've had it open for six people for it's eight weeks, um, and the first week, the first six people came on, came along, and we designed and talked about what we thought we would produce as the main thing would be a window display. So it's not going to travel anywhere. It's going to be for our community, mm-hmm. you know, on our high street. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go to the COP26 exhibition centre where actually, you know, I question how many people are going to want to actually go. Um, yeah. You know, because it's COVID and because it's a security risk and, yeah, uh, you know, I, I personally feel very nervous about a gazillion people coming to the city I don't necessarily want to put myself in the heart mm-hmm. of it. So I thought, well, the best I can do is put something at the heart of here. Um, so, yeah, we have. And then ever since there's been um, people contributing um, a piece of the design. So the design essentially is um, a big washing machine with a window. The window of the washing machine is into the shop and and flowing down from that is just everyone's um applique um uh, garments so some of them are life size some of them are miniatures some of the and it's all kind of it's from bras and pants to jeans to baby grows and masks and so we've so people have all contributed their little patch and then we're kind of uh patchworking it all together so the last so we've got all the pieces back now and for the last two weeks we just have to stitch it all down and then for we've we're going to hang it on the 31st and it'll be up for the duration of cop with a little explanation about what we chose to do so we didn't want to go with a slogan because we felt like if you put a slogan or a fact or something like that, that's all people are going to read. It's you're offering them one thing um, and one piece of knowledge. Whereas this is purely visual and it touches upon everything from, you know, our overproduction, our waste, uh, water, um, you know, this cycle of clothing. Uh, we're all just talking about temp. So we've got embroidered, embroidered into it the 1.5 degrees onto the like so the the washing machine little ah. uh, button at the top um we're talking about microplastics what we put into our wash what you know so it touches on a number of topics um you know it excludes a number of topics too but um yeah it's just we just wanted to produce something that will be a, a thinking point or a talking point and potentially after cop 26 it's something that you know could be brought to schools for little talks yeah. or uh, maybe donated to Glasgow museums as a you know a, 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 I wouldn't call it a souvenir but a, a piece Absolutely. of history for our city so I think there will be uh, a lot of things being acquired into the museum's collections from a really historic point in Glasgow's history. Absolutely. It would be this event. And there's something oh, I think it's such an brilliant project and I think to have such a collective response and such a collaborative project is is just so central to what the answer is going to be in in us getting out of this situation but also I love that it's a hanging like a wall hanging or like a that which again has such a beautiful history of it in terms of social movements and and allowing people to become aware of really important causes yeah I think I think um textiles and banners and you know protest banners made of fabric is something that is 
very commonly done and they are they're so much more powerful and there's so much more time and thought and energy uh, goes into something like that from a, and it always takes a community of people it's very difficult to pull something like this together from one or two people it, like if you think about the hours in the end that will have gone into it's it's probably hundreds of hours of work um and it's lovely because it, and it's all age groups as well it's men and women um and it's just been lovely to to kind of just have that little offering it's it's something very small on the grand scheme of things but it actually means so much to me and the people who've who've contributed to it so it'll be lovely for them when the, it's up hanging in the shop window to walk past and say look well I contributed to that and that's lovely and yeah and who knows where it'll go after cop yeah um, but oh. it's you know if 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 they haven't managed to do anything else for cop or participate or visit anything well they have put their stamp on things and we have you know we we do our best to you know keep the discussion flowing for the two hours on a Thursday about the environment and it's just a really nice way to to just offer something yeah totally free and yeah it's, it's been a really nice experience Oh, it sounds glorious. And I think so it's all your kind of worlds coming together as well. And like, I think this is really, really gorgeous. Where can people see this? If they're not in Glasgow, I think traveling to Glasgow, I think is just going to be completely off the cards during the month of November. So where can people see it? Would you be able to share? Are you sharing it on your Instagram or on your website? Yeah, or we'll, we'll probably do both. We'll, Lovely. we'll get some nice photographs of it and we'll definitely be sharing the proverbial out of it. <laughs> gorgeous so people can see it when they yeah watching from afar whenever they are in Scotland I suppose in light of all of the headlines and coverage that this is getting people are understandably thinking about their own habits and thinking about steps that they can take um, particularly with regarding their clothing and, and how that's washed and I saw a really interesting product that you had that guppy bag on your on your Instagram what's what's that it's it's essentially um, a washing bag because a lot of our washing machines, they don't come with microplastic filters. Now, I think in in a few years' time, it'll be law for any manufacturer to include these filters. You can buy external filters, but they are they're kind of these. I, I suppose they're maybe the size of a, a litre or two litre bottle that you'd attach to the side or to the back of your machine. Oh, but of course, a lot of our see. kitchens, you know, our washing machines are inbuilt into our cupboards and there really is no room yeah. at the back or the side to put these. So a guppy yeah. bag, uh, it's a guppy friend washing bag um, manufactured by a German company. Um, and essentially it's as big as any wash bag and you put all your uh, synthetic fabrics into it and you wash all your fabrics in it and it basically collects any of these microplastics that otherwise would go into your water system so once you've once you've used the bag a couple of times you'll see in the corners it gathers these tiny little they're they almost become when they're dry like little paper um just like little paper tears of uh, tears of paper and you pick yeah. them out and then you dispose of them in your general waste and um, it just means that it's not going into our water systems um, and it's amazing how much you can collect in such a small space of time and I think a lot Gosh. of people forget that they're like oh well my my t- my t-shirt is cotton and my jeans are cotton and you know they are natural fibers but in the vast majority of all our clothes they're all sewn with polyester uh, thread so that's something to keep an eye out for so even if you're wanting to wash everything you know so you're and of course like your underwear anything that has elastane in it it's all synthetic you know so so I put everything into my guppy wash bag because you just don't know what you're going to collect and you just feel like you're doing a little bit it's again it's a drop in the ocean but every drop counts yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, I think we've got our I think we've got our pull quote for the episode. <laughs> I'm just curious as somebody who always wanted to start a shop and ha- now has a shop. How is there anything that surprised you or that you've like that you've yeah, that you've loved more than that you had even expected that you'd love or That's a very good question. 
Um, I think I love being my own boss. Oh, yeah. I think I do like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think having worked for large organizations and very corporate, you know, museums are very corporate. Uh, I, mm. Yeah, and having to, if once you ask permission to do one thing, it has to go 10 people up the chain. I just don't have to ask any, I don't have to consult anyone great yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I think that is the the fact that um I, I think it's the thing that people envy most about people who have their own yeah. businesses it's just that actually it's just the 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 chain of command is so yeah. short and you could just be like do I want to do that yeah, yeah I do great yeah, I okay great and asking the thing is I, I kind of cheat as well because you know I had somebody come in and ask me if they could put up a poster in the shop and and I just pretended that I wasn't the shop owner I said oh I don't think I'm allowed to do that <laughs> And it was great. <laughs> so you can turn it I on when you want I to, but then you can. I'm becoming an expert. <laughs> well, absolutely glorious to speak to you today, and I'm so um, I'm so excited for to see what the project's going to look like. And me too. It'll be out in the yeah. world. <laughs> By the time this goes out, it'll be out in the world, and we'll all be enjoying it. So I can't wait. Yes, great. I know. <laughs> So thank you again and uh, yeah, best of luck. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the show today and indeed the series so far, we would love it if you could support us on Patreon for as little as £3.50 a month. You'll get exclusive content, access to members' events and merch coming soon. Join us next week as we speak to Rare Birds Books about their move from subscription service online to in-person bricks and mortar retail. Until then, have a wonderful week and we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Bye.